0: Pray that, Father, we pray today that you would help us to have illumination into your Word, that we would be encouraged as we look upon these truths and as we consider the life and ministry of Jesus, especially as it relates to the Spirit of our God. And pray that you would give us a right view of Him, that our our view of Jesus would be um, in keeping, Lord, with your revelation and with your Word. Lord, that we would not have a view of Christ that is deviant from what Scripture teaches, but that we would, that we would see the biblical Christ and uh, and beholding Him, Lord, that we would be changed, that we would trans- be transformed into His image more and more by the Spirit of the Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, you know, last week uh, we talked about a couple of things, just in terms of jesus being anointed uh with the spirit and uh i I pointed out several things here but one of the things that we talked about was his anointing uh just in terms of of being the uh what did i what did i tile it here uh oh yes yes just in terms of his ability to be the uh, messianic consummator now today i want to talk about not just uh I don't want to go through the points of the anointing, but now I want to talk about the power of the Spirit uh, because he is empowered by the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus is uh, empowered. Well, empowered to do what? Three things I want to capitalize on today. Uh, I don't think I'll get to the third. Preaching, uh, 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 miracles, and then the last one is going to be what I'm going to call warfare. Warfare. Uh, and warfare, we're going to be mainly looking at the temptation. Uh, The temptation, okay? But first, let's talk about these here. That's an ugly G, so let me do that again in case people come in the class late and wonder what happened in here. Uh, (laughs) So let's talk about that, Uh, Jesus and his preaching. If you go back to Luke chapter 4, uh, remember what we looked at last week there in Luke 4. In terms of, you know, Jesus talking about his anointing with the Spirit. And you remember carefully what Jesus said the Spirit had anointed him to do. Remember verse 18? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? To preach. So Jesus was a preacher. <laughs> he sent me to preach. And then look at the next phrase. He sent me to proclaim. And then the last phrase in verse 19. To proclaim. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And so definitely uh, when we... Sorry, I just saw a guy walking down the street. looks like Santa Claus with a skirt. Sorry. A little distracting. Maybe a kilt, actually. Where's the backpipe? I was looking for the backpipe. Is the backpipe following behind him? What is it? Oh, yeah, I know. I should have known that. should have known. The red threw me off a little bit. She, oh, I offended a good friend of mine who's uh, uh, Irish, and he wanted me to be part of his wedding party, and he wanted me to wear a a, a kilt, you know, I said, I'm sorry, I said, I mean, one of my best friends, I said, I would never wear that, I'm sorry, it's just too close to a skirt, I won't do it, love you, I'll do anything else, I'll sing, I'll jump up and down, I'll, but I can't wear that. We were still friends. <laughs> uh you know when we talk about Jesus' preaching uh this is our vocabulary section over here so that y'all could just uh uh, uh no 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 it's uh, i think it's i think it's uh, written like well don't I have it here somewhere the, the the Greek word's important for you guys to know uh I hate the transliteration of Greek words I told you that before Kerygma. Kerygma is uh sort of the technical term for uh, theologians refer to the preaching ministry of Jesus. You know his charisma uh, that he was involved in, and the charisma of Jesus, the preaching ministry of Jesus, is here uh, being anointed by the Spirit. So the the Spirit, uh, one of his anointing aspects of Jesus, is to empower him to preach the Word of God. Now, listen to this verse here, uh, John chapter six. You want to turn there for a second, uh, John chapter six, verse sixty three I just really get the essence and the heart of what jesus preaching is all about okay john chapter 6 verse 63 it says it is the spirit who gives life the flesh profits nothing wow think about that word you guys think about that verse What jesus is saying here <laughs> the words that i have spoken to you are spirit and are life Wow, what what is what does he mean by that? Right. Well, I think ultimately what he means by that is that his very words, uh, the words that come from him, um, are, are are that which makes for salvation. I mean, they are spirit and life in the sense that they are totally opposite of the words of the flesh. Even as the as the antithesis kind of points that out here, right? So the the flesh profits nothing, and so what Jesus is teaching them there is. Um, uh, you know, the power of the Spirit and uh, what he produces. What's the context uh, that's going on here in in John chapter 6? Everybody should know this, right? Uh, John chapter 6, this is a very important uh, uh, passage of Scripture. One of the most important passages of Scripture is because of verse 66. Verse 66 is extremely dramatic. As a result of uh, of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So we're looking at some serious apostasy. Maybe that's why it's John six sixty six. <laughs> verse sixty six is showing how people turn their back on Jesus. And wh- why do you think that is in this chapter? Why 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 are they why do they turn their back on Jesus? Is because is it because his words were spirit and life? I mean that sounds like a good thing. You know what do you think caused them to do this in this chapter? Yeah sure. Yeah. Hmm. 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 Sure. Yeah, he asserts his authority pretty, pretty seriously. Uh, he teaches on the sovereignty of God quite a bit here in this chapter, right? He talks about all that the Father has given him. He talks about that he will lose none of them, right? All of that. Uh, what else? What else does he talk about here? Yes, ma'am. Uh huh. Mm. yeah yeah that's right amen look at verse 60 following up on that because i think that's kind of the key is like yeah these are these all these words are getting very intense you know what he's teaching here is pretty dramatic right it's like a person's not going to be saved unless they're drawn by the father to the son that's controversial enough but then he goes so far as to say matter of fact to show you how essential i am To your eternal life, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You know what I mean. And so, verse sixty, verse sixty, the disciples said, "You know, when they heard this, this is a difficult statement. (laughs) You think? Yeah, it's it's pretty difficult, isn't it? Uh, It's difficult because if you take it literal, then what is Jesus teaching here? I mean, cannibalism? Of course not, right? So Jesus is uh, teaching here a a uh, spiritual principle." Now, this text, by the way, uh, here in John chapter six, throughout the history of the church, this is kind of like a uh, a text uh, that deals with uh, the Lord's Supper, and so uh, you know this is uh, you know this is an interesting, uh, uh, controversial passage because Catholics they taught the idea of transubstantiation, right? That the body uh, and the blood of 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 Jesus is the bread and the cup, you know, it's just. The cup and the bread become, actually transform into the, 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 the body and blood of Jesus. The Lutherans tried to do a little bit better. Uh, they didn't do that good because they, t- they taught the concept not of transubstantiation, but what did they teach? Consubstantiation. So con, uh, Luther taught that the body of, and the blood of Jesus is with, on, under, upon the elements, but not the elements you know and then calvin god bless him actually said no 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 uh following others i think like zwingli who would say like no 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 what's going on here is that there is a there is a there is certainly a special presence involved in the lord's supper but it is not Uh, it is not in association to the elements. The elements have no mystical power in themselves, but that God in his uh, grace uh, has given us this ordinance so that we can experience the presence of Jesus in a special way. And then some went so far as to say, no, the the elements, the Lord's Supper, is just a memorial. It's just for remembrance. There's nothing, in a sense, special about it. I'm kind of in between the two. I'm kind of in between special presence theology and memorial theology because... Uh, so so anyway, you know now you guys are going to be thinking along a whole another. But this is the chapter, so I do have validation here. But uh, but yeah, you see, like what's going on here is uh, you know Jesus making this antithesis between the flesh and the spirit, and that's where this whole saying comes from. In verse sixty three, it is the spirit who gives life; the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, and so it's almost like through. Uh, the preaching of Jesus, you know, the Spirit of God is being communicated to His people, uh, and uh, we're going to see that actually increasingly uh, more and more. And so, uh, let me let me just read this for a second here. Uh, the Spirit's work in Jesus' preaching, as with miracles, was for Jesus' self-disclosure and authentication or in order to confirm the words and deeds of Jesus as Messiah, as with the Old Testament prophets who were filled with the Spirit to speak the words of God, Jesus being filled with the Spirit speaks the word of God as God. He is thus the theanthropic man, filled with the fullness of the Spirit, even as David, in the Spirit, it says, called Jesus Lord. Jesus, by the Spirit, declares himself to be Lord. This then is in keeping with the mission of the Spirit to glorify the Son by disclosing the Son to his people. So look at John 16, 12. Uh, yeah, sixteen, twelve 12, uh, I think, through 14, yeah, through 14. That's another passage because it has to deal with the Spirit glorifying the Son. Yes? Theanthropic, good question. So... very good i'm glad you asked that so it comes from two words right uh theos and and so it's kind of a combination of the two words which means god man so jesus mm-hmm. is the god man the theanthropic man okay you guys heard of this word before some of you have right that's important that's a good way to summarize who jesus is he's the, the- theanthropic man he's the god man uh, that's who he is And uh, that's why when he speaks in the fullness of the Spirit, you know, he makes uh, declarations directly about himself as God. Uh, But again, you know, this is also part of the Spirit glorifying the Son. We see this in John chapter sixteen, verse twelve. He says, "This I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now." Wow, think about that. (laughs) You can't bear it now. I mean, you can't even comprehend it or understand it. Uh, If I start talking to you about the eschaton and things like that. you know what I mean? You won't even be able to handle it. You know, the things I've already spoken to you can't handle, let alone if I go on and on and on to talk to you about the subsequent glories of the cross, you know, it would be too much at that time. He says, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Now, this is kind of cryptic language here a little bit. Kind of, we read it, and it's like, why so difficult, right? Why is it shrouded in such sort of difficult language? Uh, well, it's just uh, because of, of of everything that the Spirit is meant to do here. Uh, when it says that he will not speak on his own initiative, that's really interesting because Jesus himself uh, said about himself that he didn't speak on his own initiative either. And so the Spirit is then brought into the eternal counsel of the triune God. So the Spirit only does what is in keeping with the the counsel of the triune God, you see? So it's like Jesus saying, you know, only what I hear my Father doing or saying, that's what I do, that's what I speak. Whatever I hear from the Father, that's what I speak. It's like, how does that work, you know? It's almost like the the, the, the Trinity is sort of... uh, you know, they're informing one another as to their roles and, and as to the things that they uh, had agreed uh, to, to do in the plan of redemption. And so that goes back to the covenant of redemption. So any questions about that? Because those, those are kind of high concepts. So any questions about that whatsoever? No dumb question. So matter of fact, I'm not moving on until someone asks a question. How's that? <laughs> Force it out of you guys. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. And so when this when it says here that whatever he hears, he will speak again, that's language Jesus used about himself. John chapter five, whatever he hears, he speaks. So just showing how the spirit and his functional unity with the father Right, that he only does what he hears the Father. It's not that he hears whatever you know. He's he- when he says he hears, he's talking about what he hears coming from the divine uh, uh, counsel, you know, between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So, any any questions? Yeah. well i I think I mean obviously Christ there is personifying the concept of truth right and applying it to himself, right He is the truth, right whereas the spirit uh is the spirit of truth in the sense that he is characterized by the truth, he communicates the truth, you know, and things like that, you know so i think I think that's kind of the way that I would probably describe that you know, one is kind of dealing with jesus' identity you know and who he is right he is the truth just like he is the life he is the, the he is eternal life himself you know what i mean whereas the spirit of truth is probably there speaking more functionally like what the spirit is going to do he's going to communicate the truth to his people you know yes sir the truth there's got to be some type of like opposition opposition okay you said opposition that's okay there you go Okay. Mhm. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, he's the father of lies. The spirit is the spirit of truth, you know, diametrically opposed to one another, you know, total opposites. So Um, But somebody mentioned how that uh, just like the spirit of truth is speaking through Jesus, speaking about Jesus, testifying to Jesus and ultimately glorifying Jesus in order to disclose him to us. So that's what he says there. Right. In this in this passage in John, he will disclose to you what is to come. So like the spirit is there to reveal, right, to make things known uh, to them. And then he says specifically, how does he do this? He will glorify me for he will take of mine now that's interesting. What does he mean by he'll take of mine? I mean, I think ultimately he will take of his, uh, he will take of his uh, I, person, his work, and he will disclose it uh, in perfect continuity to his people. okay um, That's really interesting. Now, the fact that he will do that to his people, why does the Spirit of truth reveal the truth to his people? What are the people going to do with the truth that they receive fr- by the Spirit about Jesus? What are they supposed to do with it? What's that? Obey it. Obey. Anything else? Preach it, brother. <laughs> They're supposed to preach it. Turn to First Corinthians chapter three. Uh, I'm going to make a broad connection here, but uh, hopefully with uh, with some justification and with some practical uh, some practical uh, aspects of this too. What did I say? First Corinthians three, right? <coughs> Now, this is important. Why? Because let me let me let me let me set my argument out there, okay, for you guys. The Spirit anoints the Messiah to preach, uh, and thus the this is the way of messianic disclosure, the way of kingdom intrusion. We've talked about this, temple building for this, uh, f- uh, for through the Spirit, the Messiah and his community. Will build the eschatological church temple to the ends of the earth, and that is something that has been testified to or finds testimony uh, as we have already seen uh, in places like uh, uh, Ze- uh, zechariah chapter six right the building uh, the building of this future temple that Zechariah sees in the spirit right? And that that who's going to build it? Well, the branch is going to build it. And it says, and people will come from afar and they will build it too. Okay. What could that possibly all refer to? So what I'm going to say is that all of that, all of it, a work of the spirit. Why? Because let me give you this verse here. I supposedly have it here. Here, look at this. Zechariah as you keep your finger there but let me just I can read it to you but just so you know where it is okay Zechariah chapter area chapter 4 verse 6 okay we know this verse everybody knows this verse Every, preachers love to preach this verse right especially Pentecostals for some reason I don't know why but you know for, you know not by might you know uh, nor by power you know but by my spirit says the lord right and we love that it's a great verse but what is that verse talking about ultimately it's talking about this it's talking about uh, it 's talking about uh, uh, building the temple through the spirit, of course that 's what it 's talking about uh, so let 's go back to corinthians what 's going on here in uh, First Corinthians chapter three? First Corinthians chapter three is really important for pastoral ministry uh, it 's important for ministry uh, in general. It shows us that the ministry of the church is the ministry of the Word, and that the ministry of the Word is something that is going to happen through the Spirit of God, right not through carnal means, carnal ends. Uh, And that's why, you know, uh, the Reformed Church was very careful uh, to adopt things like the regulative principle of worship, for example, that states that if Scripture does not uh, command it, we don't do it in the church, you know what I mean? Like, we're only going to do in the church what Scripture commands us to do, right? Uh, because if not, then we'll just turn church into er everything, you know? Like, for example, okay, a little controversy here, but I've gotten a lot of flack for not doing baby dedications over the years, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Because, you know, I don't see that as a ministry of the church anywhere in Scripture, you know, I don't see... Uh, The concept of dedicating babies as almost like a sacrament in front of the church, you know what I mean? Uh, And so that's fine. Okay, so, you know, maybe I err on the side of caution, whereas others, good friends of mine actually, would err on the side of grace and say, no... There's nothing wrong with it. You know, I think it could be a viable ministry for the church and it could be, we appreciate, you know, and uh, and moms like it. You know, you can grow the church like that, too, you know. <laughs> so it's just like, OK, uh, but I just I don't see it anywhere in Scripture. So, you know, that's why I don't do it. But uh, that shows you, you know, like what what are going to be the uh, components of a biblical ministry? What is it going what's it going to consist of? You know, well, it's got to consist more than anything of the ministry of the Word. That's primary. You know, the ministry of the Word of God is primary for what? For the means of grace. Means of grace. Uh, very important uh, very important uh, a statement there, because uh, this comes directly out of the Reformation, uh, but it has to be qualified because the Catholics had the means of grace, too. But when they talk about the means of grace, what are they talking about? Sure. Yeah, but aren't we talking about the sacraments when we say the means of grace? Yeah. So it's all about what they mean by the means of grace (laughs) and what we mean by the means of grace, right? What they mean is that the sacraments are actually giving you grace and and slowly justifying you before God. Okay? That's the difference between infused grace and right and uh and the grace that the reformers were talking about was which was more uh, just maybe on a on a sanctifying level right to sanctify us uh in, in in the grace of God, and so the means of grace are just like what are the areas in the Word of God where we see like these these are the main ways that God grows his people that God blesses his people. And so the reformers said, well, the means of grace are at least two things. It is the sacraments, uh, Lord's Supper and baptism, or the ordinances, however you'd like to say that, and it's the preaching of the word of God. Uh, those are the two explicit means of grace. And then over, the, over time, theologians actually began to add to the means of grace. You know, like you read Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology. He has about 15 means of grace. <laughs> you know? And you look at these things, you're like, yeah, that's... You know, that's pretty important. Fellowship, means of grace. Uh, evangelism, means of grace. Prayer, means of grace. You see, and even when we say the word is a means of grace, what do we mean? Just the preaching of the word? You know, some say, well, no, it's the ministry of the word in your life. But what the means of grace we're talking about were were uh, uh, in conjunction with the church, okay? And so, private devotion and private Bible study is a means of grace. But the means of grace the reformers were really concerned about is what is the duty of the church to dispense this means of grace? And all of it, brothers and sisters, is really from the Spirit. Yeah. And that's why. Yes, sir? So I was in my mind trying to work through the distinction between what we mean by means of grace and Mm hmm. Because we're saying, like, well, if you take part in the means of grace, you will really get grace. hmm. Well, it's good, yeah. So I think for us we have to be aware that just like we come to church, we pray, we read our bibles. But if you're not doing that by faith, it's not going to help you anymore. It's, it's good. Catholic, you know? so yeah. Even today, like you have to be doing these things by faith in order to receive. Yeah. You know, the grace. The yeah. Yeah, God talks about that a lot in the Old Testament, you know, where he says he's like, "I don't want your sabbaths, you know, I don't want your incense, your your sacrifices, they're stench to me. They're abominable to me." Why? Because there's no heart. So on a practical level Christians can do that too, you know. It's uh, called perfunctory worship. It's just worship that's false. You know, that's just rote. It's just religion. It's not uh, it's not true religion. It's false religion, you know. It's just tradition, you know. It's just that's all it can. And 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 we're not uh we're not exempt from this, you know. It's not just Catholics, Christians, real Christians, we can You know, if we don't occupy or if we don't abide by faith, you know, we can easily slip into just going through the motions, going to church, listen to the sermon, you know, without actually uh, delighting in these things, you know, and by faith partaking of them and growing by these things. So. That's good. That's a good distinction. What about this chapter here? I don't want to read the whole thing, but the chapter here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is all about the ministry of the Word. And the reason why I want to talk about this chapter is because here you look at verse 16 and 17. Very clearly, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul says that the, uh, the church is what? It is a temple of God and then to our subject and that the Spirit of God dwells in you you see, uh, so this is all new covenant, it says, and therefore, this is the warning, the admonition, if any man destroys the temple of God, uh, God will destroy him, wow, wow, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are, so that's, you know, always do your theology backwards, right? Just jump ahead. It's okay. Nobody's gonna you're not gonna fail the test. You know. <laughs> Go ahead to know like what's the point. You know what I mean? Sometimes you need to do that. Like where's Paul getting at? Just keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. Oh, there it is. That's what he's talking about. Man, it took a while to get there, but that's what he's talking about. That's right, and that's that's very helpful. So now, now that we know that, now going back, makes sense that you do not elevate Apollos or Paul, that you don't become uh factious. That you don't say, oh, I'm of this person, I'm of that person, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that kind of thing. You don't want because that's carnal. Now you're slipping into the opposite of what the temple should be and how it should be built. Uh, And so why did did I tell you guys, you know, like, how did I say it? You know, that uh, the Spirit, the Messiah, the community will build this end-time temple. Why do I say that? Because look at what he says here. Uh, You know, he says, like, first of all, Uh, what is paul what is apollos they are nothing they are servants um and it says you know look at verse nine for we are god's fellow workers you are god's field and then look at this he goes from the field god's building so verse five to verse nine has been an uh, agricultural metaphor of watering and planting and growing and so that makes sense when you're thinking about agriculture right but then at the end of verse 9 he switches to an architectural metaphor building you see that and then in verse 10 he launches out and that sets the precedence that building concept sets the precedence that will culminate in the temple okay understand that cassie you looked at me like you were confused (laughs) that's cruel i shouldn't do that that's mean (laughs) but you see what I'm saying he switches metaphors and then he says according to the grace of God which was given to me Uh, by the way everybody will have a certain measure of grace given to him you know in a million million years no matter how much I study or how much I pray or how much I sweat I will never be as good of a preacher or as good of a theologian as you know uh, uh, this person or that person Uh, I have a certain measure given to me and vice versa. Everybody has a measure given to them. Everybody has certain abilities given by God, gifts and, and and things like that. That's it. And we have to be content with that. I'm sure Paul, give you a perfect example, I'm sure Paul could not, no matter what he did, no matter how many classes he went to, be as eloquent as Apollos. There's just no way. Because Paul says elsewhere that he's terrible at talking. <laughs> right? It's like laughable how terrible he was at speaking. Okay. Conversely, maybe Apollos, with all his grand eloquence, could never have the 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 type of profound thinking that you see in the Apostle Paul. No matter how much he studied, no matter how, many, how, how many hours he labored, he just will he just will not ever get to Paul's, uh, you know, uh, level. Of, and that's okay. We're just as long as we have a servant attitude, it doesn't matter, right? Because slaves don't compete. Don't compete. They're slaves. We're just servants, you know what I mean? How much can we compete when we, when we have a right uh, view of ourselves? And then the building process then has to do with what? It has to do with the ministry of the Word of God and how you execute it. People ask me all the time, like, what's a good church? How do I find a good church? Number one thing on people's minds is, what do they have for my children? Uh, is there youth groups? Are there rock climbing walls? They have Xboxes? <laughs> no, I'm serious uh number two you know how many activities are there to do in the church you know what i mean number three how good is the music you know what i'm saying i want cd quality performances every week you know number four you know do they have theater seating you know we're getting there right so no i'm serious and this is how people think number four is the pastor hip and cool is he likable you know what i mean Like, like, is he likable? Like, can we like him? as a Is he a good guy? You know what I mean? Whatever. Okay. So, to me, it's like you haven't even gotten to the first standard of what makes a good church. You know what I mean? I mean, sadly, guys, sadly, and I think we we could all fall prey to some of these issues. You know, but sadly, we don't begin where Paul begins. You know, Paul begins with analyzing, you know, the quality of our work, and that mainly has to do with how you build the church through the Word of God. What is the What is the You know, what is the nature of the content and the quality of the content going out uh, to build the church? And so that's why Paul says, you know, uh, each man, verse 10, each man must be careful how he builds on it. So he lays the foundation because he's an apostle. And then everybody else, every other preacher, teacher and theologian ever, every Christian that contributes to the overall building of the church of God, everybody has to be very careful how you build. And so in the context, when he talks about if anyone destroys the church of the temple of God, God will destroy him, what he's saying is that what is ultimately destructive is heresy. How do you destroy the church of God? Heresy. That's how you destroy it. So if your building materials are, what does he say here? Verse 12. Now if a man lays a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. So now he gives two different things, either precious metals or perishable things. Each man... And his work will be evident, for the day will show it. In other words, okay, hold on. The day will show it because it is to be revealed uh, with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality, watch, wow, of each man's work. Now, uh, that's self-explanatory, right? If any man's work which he built on it remains, he'll receive a reward. Okay, so in other words, if you build faithfully, if you do uh, what Paul has earlier, or will later talk about in terms of being a faithful minister a faithful steward uh, all of this living in light of the judgment the coming judgment of God on believers and in this context specifically i would say ministers then your work will abide and will remain on into eternity if any man's work is burnt up he will suffer loss in other words you could if you have shoddy building material if in other words what we're saying if you have shoddy methods shoddy doctrine shoddy ministry right Expect that much of your ministry will burn. Uh, you guys heard the American Gospel video that just came out. Okay, so uh, I guess there's a there's a there's a sister who was because much of the I guess the American Gospel video is dedicated. I, have, I haven't watched the whole thing, but it's it's like it's exposing like word of faith and prosperity and that kind of. And they expose Bethel. You know, Bethel is kind of a big, you know, crazy kind of group or whatever. But I, I guess this uh, young lady. Came up to uh, who approached the maker of the film Brandon, uh, and said, "You know that she watched the film and she couldn't sleep for three days." because it exposed how shoddy that Bethel movement is, right, how false it is and all the false theology that they're teaching there. And she says she watched the film and said she was going to go through the whole film point by point and refute the whole thing. And she was a student at Bethel's college or whatever and everything. And so she sat there and her the whole world just crumbled before her eyes. And she, for three days she couldn't sleep. She was sick to her stomach. And she understood that she had been buying into this you know really wacky doctrine you know from Bethel and stuff and it just changed her life so now she's like going around as an apologist trying to expose Bethel and using the American gospel to do it so (laughs) you know I mean what does that show you you know I mean so Bethel they have you know CD quality music they have a bunch of hip cool people on stage they have thousands of people in their auditoriums but if their building material is not quality stuff all of that's going to burn on the day of judgment think about that Right, so it's almost like off or not, you know. Um, and if there's any redeeming value in anything that they do, it's just whatever deg- to whatever degree the actual gospel was actually articulated. You know what I mean? Uh, to some degree, um, anybody want to speak to that? That's a lot of stuff. I mean, any of that? I had, I had some thoughts on this idea of the measure of grace, right? No, well, it's good. Right? Yeah. And we don't know whatever that measure of grace is, right. and so like we should be diligent. That's right. To be like diving in. Yeah. Even though it's true, there's a certain measure of grace; none of us will attain to certain levels, but we don't know what that level is. Yeah, it's not meant to discourage you. It's it's meant to keep you realistic, <laughs> but it's not meant to deter you from pursuing the things of God with great rigor. You know what I mean, and all of that, but. uh yeah yeah amen absolutely. if anything, you should aspire you know to to be you know like those who've gone before you and you know mm-hmm yeah, amen. indispensable yeah because paul says in uh, romans right and first corinthians 12 other places where he talks about the body and its members you know that we can't say you know to any member of the body i have no need of you so we have to have every part of the body you know like right now my toe is giving me problems i no joke one of my toes is giving me problems and i can't believe how it affects my entire body <laughs> you know what i mean like one little toe that's hurting me so bad and yet my whole body's like off kilter i'm just walking weird and you know <laughs> so it's like even if you think you're a toe you know how about this a nail you ever had a nail go wrong on you in your toe you know <laughs> right uh ingrown nail or something like that <laughs> Like, uh, that's enough to do it uh so no everyone's necessary uh why is god building this temple Verse 16 and 17. Why is he building the temple? Why is the Spirit empowering the Messiah to build this temple through his preaching, matter of fact, and then through the preaching of the church? So it's like it's not just Christ, but it's Christ and the church, right? That's how all this is going to be accomplished. That's how the temple is being built, according to this passage. But why is God doing this? Why? Anyone? to inhabit it absolutely because what does he say Uh, verses 16 and 17 right he says uh you are the temple of god and that the spirit of god dwells in you so the whole purpose is that the spirit is building a temple for himself to inhabit (laughs) that's the whole purpose of doing this you know anybody want to speak to that i mean that's a big point I mean that, that reminds us of why all this is going on, why all the uh, all of this uh, ministry of the word is is happening. So much here. For me, makes me think of chapter nine, where Jesus confronts Paul or Saul at the time and said, "Why are you persecuting me?" And what is it? Jesus confronts. Oh Paul yes, yes, yes. Acts nine. Yeah. Uh huh. In regards to uh, the body of Christ being the temple of God. Uh mm-hmm. huh. Yeah. Well, uh and that also speaks to it being that's yeah. I mean, not expendable mm-hmm. because God is not only preserving it, protecting it, but also building it up mm-hmm. when another comes along and tries to destroy it, mm-hmm. he instead changes them or destroys them. And that's what we see in the case You know, that brings up a good point, you know, because I said earlier, how do you destroy the church of God? Well, through heresy, yeah. In the context, yes, but also through persecution. So that's that's good. You know, persecution at least is the attempt to destroy you know the temple of God. So, um, yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> okay, let me let me uh, let me read some of this. And of course, we're completely out of time. We didn't even get to the miracles. I was going to talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit today. Should I do it? Ten minutes? Okay. All right. Let's let's turn to a Matthew 12 quickly. We're transitioning away from preaching, and now we're talking about miracles and what are miracles for. Well, miracles are for the authentication of the ministry of Jesus, of course. Miracles are so that people understood that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was sent by God the Father, that Jesus's words were from the Father, that he fulfilled prophecy. And so that's why you have Jesus talking about, you know, Isaiah uh, and quoting Isaiah in terms of giving sight to the blind and making the deaf hear and healing the lame and all of that, right? When John the Baptist was asking from prison, is this the Christ, yes or no? What did Jesus say? Go tell John the Baptist that the deaf hear and the blinds receive their sight, right? And then he was quoting the book of Isaiah, right? Um, and by doing that, he was saying, yes, he 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 is the long-awaited Messiah because you're seeing these, Uh, These signs, those signs were also uh, not just fulfillment, but they were, you know, they were signs and wonders, miracles that were also indicators of the fact that uh, the kingdom of God had come. Right. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 12. uh, What's the context of the blasphemy, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? The context of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit are the miracles of Jesus, okay? So a lot of times we think about, let me just give you my position. What's my position on the quote-unquote unpardonable sin? My position is that it is not a sin that can be committed today. Uh, This position was taught to me by Robert Morey, who has recently gone to be with the Lord. Uh, Learned a lot from Robert Morey, uh, as crazy as he was. Uh, and people know people who know what that means know what that means, uh, but he was just very bomb- bombastic and just <laughs> sometimes crude and you know a real wise guy. You know, anyway, he's from Little Italy. You know, he's I guess uh, whatever. He was like that, and so it kind of repelled a lot of people. But man, boy, was he smart. He was a student of Van Til's. He was a student of Schaefer, and he was a student of uh, Gordon Clark. So he's very smart, graduated from Westminster. But anyway, he's the first guy that taught me this, and it just made perfect sense. And then, coming to find out later, that John MacArthur holds his position as well. So I thought, it was good. okay, now I got Johnny Mac on my side, so that's all that matters. <laughs> so so basically, what it's saying is this, is that is that the reason why this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit comes up, look at verse 31, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but... The blasphemy against the spirit shall not be forgiven. I remember, I remember a time when I was watching a video of you've seen those videos where they expose Hollywood and you know, it's all devil worshipping and you know whatever. So I was watching this video on rock and roll, you know, and this guy with, they show this video of this punk rocker on stage and he's literally blaspheming the Holy Spirit on stage, not Christ, not the the Spirit. I couldn't believe it, and I'm thinking well, he's blaspheming the Spirit. He, he's done. Like, that's it. It's over. Right. And then the next scene was, hey, that was me, you know, 15 years ago. And, you know, now I'm an evangelical and love the Lord. And, you know, now I love Jesus. You know, I was like, how's that possible? You can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit and get saved. So I was like, "Okay, something's up because I thought you couldn't blaspheme the Holy Spirit and get saved. You know what I mean? So it must be something else. So what does it mean? Well, I think what it means is that in the context if you look at what's happening here jesus is performing miracles here he's casting out demons and look at verse 24 he says but when the pharisees heard this they heard about his uh, miracles that he had done and everything that he would you know he's uh, healing demon possessed people the blind the mute all of them are being brought to jesus verse 22 and he healed them and so Uh, And the mute speak and, you know, all that. So, and then it says here, you know, the Pharisees heard this and said, this man casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And so basically, Beelzebub is like a designation for Satan. And so he's saying, what is he saying here? The power operative in the Messiah is Satan. And so what, and and then those that made the, drew drew the same conclusions as they saw and they witnessed the actual miracles in front of their eyes. So think about this, guys, and we'll have to, wrap it up soon here but but think about what he's saying here is like you were in the presence of the spirit anointed messiah spirit empowered messiah you saw the miracle yourself you saw the blind healed you saw the, deaf, the 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 mute speak you saw the demons come out and in your depravity you said satan did that satan is working through him right it's like there is no greater sign that God can condescend to give you than to show you, to choose you, to privilege you with pulling back the veil, as it were, revealing to you the power of the Holy Spirit in person, right? Undeniable evidence. And for you to attribute that power to the, to the, to the anti-Lord himself, to Satan. Uh, I think what Luke is saying is that that... When that happened, that was the clearest indication of the person's total reprobate state of mind and soul. They are they are b- beyond, beyond redemption, you know. So uh, I think that's, you know, uh, John Owen says the unpardonable sin is, uh, uh, the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is apostasy. So a lot of Puritans and a lot of Reformers took that position that uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is committed today through apostasy. So, okay, like somebody apostatizes and dies in their sin. Are they going to hell? Yes, but do I equate blasphemy of the Holy Spirit with apostasy? No, I do not. Uh, and so there you go. So uh doesn't mean you have to take my position, but that's just because contextually I'm driven, trying to be driven more by the text, and it seems like that's what the text is saying. But what what ultimately this shows us, and we'll pick this up maybe next week, but what it shows us is that the miracles of Jesus, when they came, what do you think about when the miracles of Jesus? What do you think about? What comes to your mind? Miracles of Jesus, and give me one word that comes to your mind to describe it. Awesome. awesome. Power. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. What else can you say, right? <laughs> Beautiful. Theanthropic. Holy. 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 Yes. So, how about this word? You know Pastor Miller's going to throw you a curveball. How about this one? Conflict. Look at the text. Verse 28. He says, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And upon you is cast in the language of conflict. Look at verse 29. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property? unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house so what is the miracles of jesus showing Is showing that as the kingdom of god is upon you that the kingdom comes in conflict in conflict with who in conflict with the strong man who's the strong man beelzebub the ruler of the demons see the 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 uh uh, in, in picking up that issue jesus capitalizes on okay well you want to talk about satan you want to talk about the ruler of the demons this is what's really going on i am binding him and i am plundering his house that's what i'm doing and so when the kingdom comes through the messiah anointed by the spirit the spirit anoints him empowers him for what to engage in kingdom combat to do war with the devil right and we'll see this more in our next uh our next study together as we consider the temptation okay